0: Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 58, shooting raw on Sony cameras. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. For those of you who are new to the podcast, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Uh, Filming with Josh is essentially a place where we chat about all things video, whether it's equipment, um, new releases, techniques, storyboarding, script writing, how to write a contract, how to price your work. We talk about all things video on this podcast, and we also have a Facebook group called Filming with Josh. Join The Filming with Josh Facebook group, when you get a chance, it is a cool place to hang out and chat about video with other like-minded individuals. Before we go any further, I do want to mention that today's podcast is going to be a little technical. It has to be because it's the only way I can really explain how this stuff works, so bear with me when listening to this podcast because it is going to be a little technical. If you are listening to this episode of the podcast, then you are here to learn all about raw video on Sony cameras. Raw is an interesting conversation. Um, And it goes beyond just Sony cameras. Raw video in general is an interesting conversation. What is raw video? Should you use raw video? Why would you use raw video? There's a lot of different um, areas of conversation that can be had there. And today we're going to talk about some of those different things, but we're going to focus primarily on Sony cameras because I am a Sony shooter and I like to talk about things that I know about and not about things I don't know. So (laughs) we're going to talk about raw on Sony today. Sony cameras have been able to shoot raw video for quite some time. If you uh, have been in video for a while and you know about the FS700, and back in its day, um, raw via like Convergent Design or via uh, Atomos was a, a way to for people to capture 4K on the FS700, and it was also a way for people to unlock higher dynamic range, um, better bit rates, things of that nature, better color depth, and people that bought the FS-700, almost everybody that was serious with that camera bought a recorder and would pair up like an Odyssey or something similar on the FS-700 in order to unlock RAW because it truly transformed the FS-700 into a much better camera. I mean, seriously, if you look at the FS-700 footage, uh, internal versus externally recorded RAW, the RAW video was leaps and bounds better and a lot of people that bought that camera that's what they did because they really wanted to unlock the full potential and when I was looking at the FS700, I never bought one, but I looked seriously into getting one back in the day. Um, that was what my plan was. I was going to get it, and I was going to get a recorder, and I was going to record RAW on the FS700. By the time I finally had gotten the cache together for that camera, the FS7 had been announced in 2014, and I decided that that was the route I wanted to go because it was an update over the FS700. But I never shot RAW on the FS7. And we're going to talk about why I didn't, and we're going to talk about RAW and how it Works in today's workflow with Sony's more modern cameras. The reason why I never shot RAW on the FS7 primarily was because it was uh, a pain in the butt, to be honest. It was a royal pain in the butt. To shoot RAW on the FS7, you had to buy Sony's uh, extension unit that clamps on or bolts into the back of the FS7, and to to power that, you then had to use V-Lock batteries, and all of that was just to unlock the RAW output. So you have the FS7, which is already kind of a bigger camera. Now you've got this giant extension unit that costs $2,500, and then you got V-Lock batteries, which are pretty big too, and they're big bricks on the back of that. And so you're basically taking the FS7 and turning it into, like, a bazooka <laughs> in order to unlock RAW out. And... The key there is to unlock RAW out because that didn't give you internal RAW, that that unlocked RAW out. So at that point, you then had to have an external recorder that could record RAW, which also requires batteries of its own, unless you plugged it into the V-Lock battery uh, via D-TAP cable, which some people did. But still, you had to have an external recorder, which is something else that you have to put on top of the camera, plus more cables, plus SSD drives, and it was just so much, so much, and so expensive in order to output RAW on the FS7. And the interesting thing was is that RAW on the FS7 actually wasn't as good in certain cases as the internal 10-bit codec. See, the FS7, unlike the FS700, shot it shot 10-bit log files, whereas the FS700 shot 8-bit. And the FS7 also had a great XA- XAVCI codec that had a healthy bitrate to it. It was just a good file. And if you shot an S-Log3, S-Gamut3.cine on the FS7, you got a good, flat, gradable image to work with. And if you were to shoot RAW externally and you were to add all that crap, plus the thousands and thousands of dollars it costs in order to set up RAW on the FS7, you were getting a 12-bit RAW file. And honestly, the 12-bit RAW file was really not that much different than the internal 10-bit codec. And in some cases, it actually had some blocking issues and stuff in the shadows, and actually, in, in, in certain scenarios, looked worse than the internal codec. And so it was widely known to really not shoot RAW on the FS7. It, it, it wasn't worth the size and weight um, and the... The, and the added cost, plus all of the hoops you had to jump through in order to do it. So most people, myself included, never touched RAW on the FS7. Whereas on the FS700, you didn't have to have the extension unit. You didn't have to have V-Lock batteries. All you needed was the recorder. And because the FS700 only shot 8-bit internal, the difference between the internal 8-bit on the FS700 and the RAW that was shot externally was huge. It was a huge difference. But because the FS7 was so much better with with its XAVCI codec and its 10-bit files and, and its high bit rates and whatnot, because that was such a, a much better file to work with, the difference between that and the external RAW was really negligible. And so it really wasn't worth it. Moving on to today's cameras, we have the FX9, the FX6, we have the A7S 3 the A1, the FX3, all of those cameras can output RAW, just like the FS7 could. The FS5 could as well, and the FS5 was also an 8-bit camera, and like the FS700, if you wanted to get the most out of the FS5, you did want to shoot the 12-bit RAW externally. Um, it was really the FS7 that was the one that had such a good codec that you would not want to shoot uh, externally on. Um, but... Looking at today's cameras, where are we today? Because that was the last generation. Where are we at today with the FX9, FX6, A7S 3 What is the RAW like on those cameras? What is the benefit of shooting RAW on those cameras? Should you do it? Should you not do it? That's what I want to talk about on today's podcast. If you're going purely off of specs, when you look at Sony's current lineup of cameras, you will see a headlining feature that says 16-bit RAW out and that may make your eyes widen and your mouth water because you're like, man, if I shoot raw externally on these cameras, I get 16-bit raw. Imagine how much information is there to work with compared to 10-bit. Well, unfortunately, what Sony doesn't tell you in the headline (laughs) is that there are currently no recorders on the market that you can plug into your camera and put on top of your camera that record 16-bit RAW out. As of today, 2022, you can only output and record 12-bit log RAW files. That's it. 16-bit is what you call linear. It's 16-bit linear. That's what the Sony's can output. But again, there's no recorders that can record it. So what you are stuck with is a 12-bit log RAW file. And that 12-bit file is a great file. However, it is a huge difference between 12-bit and 16-bit. So do not look at those specs and and think that if you buy an FX9 or an a7S 3 or FX6 or anything like that, that you're going to be able to output 16-bit RAW because that's just not true, at least not as as of today. And those cameras, like the FX9 has been out for a few years now, so I, I don't... I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't see that changing anytime soon. I would love it if it did, but we are not there today. So as of today, the file you can record is a 12-bit RAW file and it's technically 12-bit log. And so that's what you're outputting from these cameras. Well, what is the difference between that and the internal 10-bit codec? That's kind of what I want to tackle today. First off, I want to talk about RAW in general. When you think of raw video, or when a lot of people think of raw video, they think of Lightroom and Photoshop. They think about what it's like to work with a raw photograph in Lightroom or a raw um, uh, photograph in Photoshop. And basically, you get to work with the camera raw settings, and you get to have access to so much control that allows you to manipulate the image and pull up pull up your shadows in so many different ways that look so good and be able to bring your your highlights down and, and all of this stuff to 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 bring back all this information. And when you think about raw video, you think about getting those same those same controls and post and video that you would get on a photograph. Unfortunately, that isn't really the case. Raw video works a little differently. And specifically, I'm going to focus on Sony's RAW because when you work with Sony cameras today, the format you're mainly going to be working with is ProRes RAW. ProRes RAW is a great codec because it is a it is an editable, easy to work with raw file that's not gigantic. It does add a large file, like the the ProRes RAW files especially depending on if you shoot in like ProRes RAW HQ, for instance, that file type or file size is much, much bigger than the internal codec. But compared to a non-compressed RAW file, it's actually pretty manageable. Plus, it's really easy to work with on a computer because the ProRes RAW files play back very well. A lot of people work with ProRes in post, non-RAW, just because it's so easy to work with. It's actually one of the reasons I bought the Mavic 3 Cine, um, because the Cine version of the Mavic 3 shoots to ProRes HQ, which my computer loves. ProRes is just so great to work with. Well, ProRes RAW is it's kind of similar, it's along those lines. It was designed by Apple and it works very, very well when you're editing or even just play, simply playing back your files. So if you work with ProRes RAW on Sony cameras, you get manageable, For again, for this is relative, we're talking about RAW here, you get manageable RAW file sizes that are pretty easy to edit on the computer, right? And, and that sounds very appealing, and it is appealing. The challenge is when you start to dig into what you can do with those files and what limitations are there and what problems are created. And that's what I'm going to get into now. When you look at ProRes RAW on the FX6, for example, and all the cameras I mentioned, FX9, FX6, FX3, A1, A7S 3 they all work the same way. So when I'm talking about Sony's current model of cameras, I, if, if, I'm, if I specifically name like a camera like the FX6, just know that this same rule applies to all of them. So <clears throat> with that being said, let's take the FX6 for example. Let's say you bought the FX6. You've got a 10-bit log file that's an X, It's a type of XAVCI file, and you have that internal. What is the difference between working with that and plugging in a recorder and working with 12-bit log externally. Well, first off, when you look at the raw file that you get, the ProRes raw file externally from the FX6 in this instance, you do not get the same controls that you do in like Photoshop or Lightroom. There's The, the camera raw controls are nowhere near the same. Really, all you have access to is raw to log conversion, white balance plus tent, ISO, and exposure offset. Those are really the four things you get when you shoot in 12 bit raw on ProRes, 12 Pro, bit ProRes Raw. So with that being said, what are the what are those four things? Well the RAW to log conversion basically when you when you think about when you think about the A7S3 for example or the FX6, when you're picking your picture profile, you obviously you have um, you have the burned-in look like a S S-Cine tone where it bakes in the color, right? And that's a great file type or a great picture profile to work with if you are wanting to do minimum grading in posts and you're just looking for a really good straight out of the box look, something that you can shoot and then slap online really fast or maybe use for live streaming where you obviously want to have color in the live stream. Like, S-Cine Tone is great for a baked-in look. But then you also have, right, you have log, like S-Log3. S-Log3, S-Gamut3.Cine is arguably the most popular way to shoot and work with files that you want to grade when working with Sony cameras and has been for quite some time. Even the FS7 worked with S-Log3, S-Gamut3.Cine. Well, when you pick... a a file like SLOG3, and you're working with an internal codec, you are baking that log curve into your file. Where that is different with RAW, is when you are recording ProRes RAW, you are not baking in the log curve. And instead, when you open the RAW file in a program like Final Cut Pro, you get to pick your log curve. So you're picking your log curve after the file's been shot, not before. Well, wh- why would you want to do that? Well, if you are, let's just say you are working with Canon cameras and Sony cameras at the same time. And let's say on the Canon cameras, you're working with C-Log, and you really like the look of the files, but you've got a project that you've got to mix in some Sony footage from, right? And so maybe what you might want to do is, is shoot Sony in ProRes RAW externally, and then when you open up the Sony files to work with in a program like Final Cut, for instance, you can pick the log curve at that time. And there are more options than just the Sony log curve. You can actually choose C-Log or Panasonic V-Log or, or Arri-Log, for instance. So if you are, for example, if you are, a, if you are someone who's working with and is used to working with Canon cameras and you're used to working with C-Log, but you have a shoot coming up that you have to use Sony cameras on, If you shoot externally, you can pick C-Log as your log curve after the shoot. That way, the log curve on your Sony footage will match the Canon C-Log curve on your Canon cameras. That's a nifty feature to have. So when you are shooting ProRes RAW externally, you can pick your log curve after you've shot, and you can pick more than just Sony, as the log curve. So if you like working with Panasonic V-Log cameras and you like that look, then you can pick V-Log after the fact. Now, it is very important that you understand that log curve, the log curve, is not the same thing as color. What log is, is log is, that a log curve is basically how the highlights and shadows work together. When you look at, um, when you look at like Premiere, for example, and you're you're in Lumetri Color and you go down to the curves, Right, you can you can on that line that diagonal line you can pull your sh- your your highlights down, you can move your shadows up, that creates a curve. Right, that curve is a log curve essentially, so that's that's what a log curve is doing in camera, it is dictating how the shadows and highlights work together, and when you are Thinking about working with like Canon and Sony, for example, if you can match the log curves on both, then that means that the way that the highlights and the way that the shadows kind of respond is very similar between. It, it will be very similar between the two cameras if both are, are working with the same log curve. Now, do you have to shoot in RAW to do this? No, you don't. You can create a LUT that converts like S log, for example, into C log. There are ways that you can do that using programs like LUT Calc, but If you can do it raw, if you can do it when you are, if you shoot in raw and you can do it in the computer using a raw file, it's a little more accurate and it and it responds a little better. But it's important again to note that that's not color. We're not talking about color. We're talking about contrast and how shadows and highlights respond and work together. Color comes down to the sensor and the and the gamut space you're working in. And so, like Sony, for example, is even if you shot Sony raw. The files even if you even if in post you chose C log to decode it. The log curve will be the same, but the, the color will still be Sony color. So it's important to note that just because you shoot externally in RAW and you pick C-Log as your log curve, for example, in Pulse, it's important to note that you're only talking about the log curve. You're not talking about the color science. The color science is still Sony. So you're still going to have to match the Canon to the Sony or the Sony to the Canon. It's just the way that the shadows and highlights work together. That's, that's what's going to look the same. Is that worth it to you? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. I personally don't think that raw shooting in RAW externally is worth being able to have that adjustment in post because personally... I'm not matching my cameras to Canon or Panasonic or Aerie or anything like that. And also personally, I, I would be fine if I wanted to change my the way my shadows and highlights um, work on that curve. I'd be fine working with curves and, and Resolve, for example, and just kind of doing it by hand. And, and, and I'm not doing anything extreme. So to me, that would be good enough. But for some people, they may want the simplicity of just simply being able to choose C-Log or V-Log or whatever in post. So that's one of the that's one of the options you get when you shoot with Sony RAW the other is white balance intent. White balance intent is essentially you are getting in post the ability on the raw file to change the recorded white balance. So think about it, you're in the field, you are let's just say you're you're in a room and you you, you you pull out your white balance card and you take a custom white balance with your camera and let's just say it sets the white balance to 3,200 and then you record it internally. Well, you are baking in a white balance of 3,200. Well, in post, obviously you have a tint and you have a white balance slider. So you can change, obviously in post, you can change the, the white balance by hand, but the issue is, is if you are off by a lot, like let's just say you set your white balance to 5,500, but the room was really thirty two hundred, if you were to push that white balance in post from 55 to 32, it may not look so good because you recorded it so far away from its actual white balance point that if, you, if you're working with a, an internally recorded codec, it may not look good trying to adjust from 55 all the way down to 32. If you're making a slight adjustment, that's one thing. But to go from like 5500 to 32 in post, that can create some problems. Well, when you work with, with ProRes RAW, for example, you actually are not baking that white balance in. You get to pick the white balance after the fact. So if you, if you did in that situation have your white balance set to 5,500, it doesn't really matter because you can change it at the raw level as if you had shot it at 3,200. So basically you're getting a lot more room. You can change the actual Kelvin point in the raw file as opposed to changing it um, with an internal codec where there can be some issues. This is helpful if you miss your white balance in the field or if you just don't feel like setting a white balance but i have to say i don't really like working like that i think that's actually a really a piss poor way to work to be honest with you because in the field if you can put a white balance card in front of your camera and set a custom white balance and maybe even record a quick clip of the white balance card you are far better off doing that because you know what the white point is supposed to be whereas in post with raw, yes, you may be able to completely change the white balance. But if you don't have a white balance card that you recorded to to adjust the white balance to, then what are you going to set the white? How do you know what the white balance is going to be? I mean, yeah, you could pull up uh, cur- you could pull up uh, graphs and things and try to do it that way, but in all honesty, you're creating a lot more work for yourself. It- it's way simpler to stick a white balance card in front of the camera and set a custom white balance. And if you want to make a-, a adjustment in post, your adjustment will be slight because you're not trying to you know, fix anything that's way off, right? You're not recording 5500 in a 3200 situation. So to me, I-, I don't really personally see the advantage of-, of being able to change the white balance in RAW. Because I I don't ever, I'm never (laughs) in a situation where my white balance is off by that much. I mean, if it was, it's because I did something stupid. You should be setting your white balance in the field and just getting it done right there in this, you know, per scene and moving on. and, and, And if you're going from indoors to outdoors you know, et cetera, or if the lighting outside is changing and it's kind of golden or whatever, you should, be adju- you should be adjusting for that in the field. And I think that's a more appropriate workflow. But if for whatever reason you want the ability to change it at the RAW level with ProRes RAW, you can do that. The third thing that you can change is the ISO. When you are recording in camera, obviously you know that you can adjust your ISO. The higher the ISO is, the more artificial light you let in. Well, let's just say you are working with a file and you are not happy with the ISO you picked. You're like, man, I I should have picked a, a higher ISO, for example. Well, you can go in a ProRes RAW file and actually change the ISO as if you had shot it at that ISO. So let's just say you shot at the base ISO of of 640 on an a7s3 but uh for 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 log right but in post you wish you would have shot it at like 1600 for some reason you can change that iso value in the raw file as if you had shot it at 1600 iso in the field and what is the advantage of that uh, it's different when you're changing the ISO value. There is a difference between that and simply raising your exposure in your sliders and post. Is it worth it again? I don't know. Like I, I don't, I typically, personally, I, I never find myself shooting a an ISO value that's so far off that I have to fix my own mess and post. You know, I may slightly raise or lower my exposure or Change, change the the curves to change my the way my, my shadows and highlights look, but I don't find myself in post wishing like, man, I was off by like 3000 ISO values. I sure wish I would have shot at something drastically different. But if that's you, if for some reason you in post, you find yourself wishing you had shot at a different ISO all the time, then You know, that that's something you can do. And the fourth and final thing is exposure offset. Basically, if you do adjust your ISO value at the raw level, you can offset the exposure using exposure offset. I don't want to really get into what the point of that is today because I don't really think it's necessary for for most people. I I think it's kind of pointless too. And all in all honesty, I think you can kind of start to see where I'm going with this. Those are the four things that you can change. So if you shoot ProRes RAW externally on Sony cameras, that's what you get. You're not getting clarity sliders like you do in Photoshop or Lightroom. You're not getting the, the ability to work with the file the same way you would in camera RAW. What you're getting is a RAW to log conversion where you can pick your log after the fact, your log curve after the fact, and can work with other cameras' log curves. You're getting the white balance plus tint Adjustment, you're you're getting the ISO adjustment and the exposure offset adjustment. That's what you're getting if you work with ProRes RAW. And here, and here's the funny part. So, as it stands today, there is no program on the market that can work with the white balance and and uh, tint from Sony files, uh, Sony ProRes RAW files. Only a program called Scratch who is kind of faking it. And Scratch is a program that like nobody uses. But if you look at like Premiere and you look at Final Cut, for example, if you shoot in ProRes RAW on Sony cameras, you cannot actually use the white balance and tint function on Premiere or on uh, Final Cut. So that feature that I mentioned, you can't even use if you edit on those two programs. Now, um, other cameras on Final Cut, like Panasonic's S1H, if you record... ProRes RAW from that camera, you can have access to the white balance and tint function, but not on any of the Sony cameras. I do think that will change because I think Final Cut is working on that. But as of today, you cannot use the white balance and tint uh, function on in Final Cut with Sony cameras or in Premiere. And check this out. In In Final Cut, you have access to the raw-to-log conversion, the ISO adjustment, and the exposure offset adjustment. But in Premiere, you have access only to the raw-to-log conversion and the exposure offset. So in Premiere, essentially, not only can you not use the white balance intent function, but you can't even use the ISO adjustment. So if you are a Premiere user, the only things that you can do with the ProRes RAW file is the raw-to-log conversion and the exposure offset. That's it. You can't even adjust the ISO value. Or the white balance intent. So that's all. That's that's really all the adjusting, extra adjusting you get from the ProRes file is simply raw log conversion exposure offset. If you're a Premiere shooter, and then it gets even better. If you work in DaVinci Resolve, you have access to none of it because DaVinci Resolve does not allow the use of prores raw files the only way to work in davinci resolve with a file with a sony file that was shot in prores raw or any file that was shot in prores raw is to use a converter and transcode, essentially, your ProRes RAW files into something different like ProRes 4444. And in that case, you could work with the files in DaVinci Resolve, but now you're no longer working with RAW. So what's the point of shooting in RAW to begin with if you are a Resolve user because you can't even open the file natively? And that's because the DaVinci Resolve has or Blackmagic has their own uh, RAW file called b and Blackmagic owns DaVinci Resolve, and Blackmagic does not want... Um, users of Resolve to have access to ProRes RAW because they want them, they want users of their program to buy cameras that use BRAW so that they can make money. And so as such, if you are a Resolve user, you can't even work with the native ProRes RAW file from any camera, from any brand. So <laughs> you, you can kind of see like it's very, very, very limited. And here's the thing, like I'm a Premiere user, right? So if I work with raw externally, I can only use raw to log and the exposure offset. That's it. I don't get the white balance intent function, and I don't get the ISO function. But here's the other thing. Even though I'm a Premiere user, I like to grade and resolve. My workflow, a lot of times, for example, if I was shooting interv- sit-down interviews, at the beginning of the interview, let's just say it's a, a, a three-camera interview, got um, like a wide, medium, and a tight lens, I will have my interview subject hold up a color chart that's got um, white balance and, and, and uh, gray, gray cards on it and it's got a black point on it and it's got all the color chips, I'll have them hold that and I will record like a five-second clip on all three of my cameras with them holding that card where they're going to be sitting. And then what I will do is at the beginning of my, of my color grading, like when I'm at the color grading point in my edit, I will pull those five second clips into Resolve and I will color those clips to the color chart. That way I can get all three cameras to have perfect blues, perfect reds, perfect whatever, and all of them to have perfect exposure. And what that does is it allows me to get all three cameras to match in Resolve using the color checkers. And then what I'll do is I'll export those adjustments as a LUT and I'll apply that LUT in Premiere and now all of my interview... All of my interview shots from camera A will have the Resolve LUT that I created. Same thing with camera B, same thing with camera C, and that makes all three of my cameras match dead on. I like to do that. I love working with color charts, and I love grading in Resolve and creating a LUT and applying that LUT to my files and, and and Premiere. It's a great way for me to work because I think Resolve is a much better program for coloring than Premiere, which is why Resolve is used on a lot of big Hollywood motion picture productions. Resolve is an incredible color grading program. Of course, you can edit and do full edits and graphics and audio in Resolve. I don't do that. I like working with Premiere for all that stuff. Um, but I do like to color in Resolve and to export those Color changes or color grades as LUTs and then apply them to my to my timelines uh, and, and, and Premiere. That's my process. Well, if I shot those files in ProRes RAW, I can't do that because Premiere <laughs> Premier doesn't work with ProRes RAW. So the only way I can make it work would be to transcode those files to something other than RAW. And again, that defeats the whole point of shooting in ProRes RAW to begin with. So as you can see, like there's a lot of limitations when working with RAW on. Sony cameras, there's a ton of limitations. And because ProRes RAW, to only have those four functions and for for two of them not to work in Premiere, one of them to not work in Final Cut and none of them to work in Resolve, it's just so limiting. That's just with that. And let's talk about some more issues. So if you are working with RAW on a camera like the a7S III, for example, you actually get a higher resolution file. So the A7S III records up to 4K UHD, right? 4K. Well, if you record ProRes RAW on the A7S III, you actually can record up to 4.2K. So you're actually getting a little bit bigger file than 4K. And if you zoom in 100% on your timeline on a shot that was recorded in 4.2K externally versus regular 4K or UHD internally, you will see that the 4.2K is slightly sharper and slightly more detailed. However, you have to zoom in like 100% to see it. It's not, that the difference is, is there, but it's not big. It's, it's not very big at all. And that sounds great in theory, like, wow, I can have a slightly higher resolution file on the A7S III, for example, or even the FX6 if I'm recording externally to, to ProRes RAW. But here's the catch. When you work with ProRes RAW on Sony cameras, there is zero noise reduction happening. And you will read online, oh, I don't, you know, you don't want to work with a camera that has noise reduction, right? You need to do it in post, you need to do it in post. Well, from a practical standpoint, If you were to use noise reduction on all of your files and on your timeline, you would shoot yourself and you'd quit your job because you would hate it. You would absolutely hate it. Can you imagine using noise reduction on every single clip you shot? Well, when you work with the raw file, that's essentially what you have to do. Even if you're shooting at the base ISO, the lowest ISO setting, and even if you you are at that setting and you're exposing your image properly, you are still going to see noise because it's a raw file. Right, Most people don't understand that cameras, all cameras for the most part, have some sort of noise reduction happening. Even if you're working on the Sony FX6, for example, you have the ability to choose your noise reduction. You have high noise reduction, mid, low, or off. Well, even if you choose to turn your noise reduction to off on the FX6, you actually are not turning it off. Because if you look at the raw file from an externally recorded FX6 clip versus an internal clip with noise reduction off, The file from the FX6 with noise reduction off will still be squeaky clean, whereas the RAW file will not be. So even when you turn noise reduction off on a camera like the FX6, it's not actually off. There's still some noise reduction happening when it is processing the image and creating it into the codec. So you are actually having a noise reduction of some sort on pretty much any camera you work with with an internal non-RAW codec. But when you work with a RAW file, you don't have that. And even in the base ISO with a properly exposed image, you will see noise, which means you have to remove it yourself. Well, if you're working on a Hollywood set and you want that finite control, that's one thing. But if you are an everyday shooter and you're going out and you're doing commercial projects, branding videos, short films, docs, stuff like that, do you really want to come home and apply noise reduction to every single clip? Think about that. I mean, for anybody who's ever worked with noise reduction, like Neat Video, for example, you know how taxing that is on your computer. It is rough to work with. It will bog down your timeline and make you render your files for playback. And the render, the rent to render those files, even on a really good modern computer, will still take a long time because noise reduction is just flat out a hog on cameras or on uh on, on computers. It is just a very taxing thing to do. It is really hard on a computer. So most people know that when you work with a, uh, a denoiser like Neat Video, that that needs to be the very last step in your entire video. You better have your grade done, your graphics done, everything, audio, everything needs to be done. And it is the very last step in your process before export. But even then, if you are denoising every single shot on your timeline, you will go crazy because it will take forever to render that out, right? And is that really worth it to go from like 4K to 4.2K? Is it really worth it for you for you to go through that just so you can get a slight bump in resolution? Because to me, the answer is no, because from a practical standpoint, I don't have time for that nor do most of you, you know, you don't have time to sit at your computer and wait for it to render out. I mean, what if you shot a five minute video and you denoised every shot in there? I mean, my gosh, you would just go nuts. (laughs) So from a practical standpoint, I don't think that's for most people, I don't think that's a workflow most of you are going to want to have. And, but that's what you are going to have if you work with the raw file. So yes, you might get a slight bump in resolution, but you, are, it is coming at the cost of you having to denoise de- all your images. Here's the other thing. If you work with external RAW, you will notice in post that you are going to be using a lot higher file sizes. Now, I said earlier that, relatively speaking, the file sizes aren't bad in ProRes RAW. They're actually pretty good. And that's because, relatively, when you're comparing... Um, ProRes RAW, which is a compressed file or compressed RAW file versus a true RAW file, the true RAW file will eat up an enormous amount of data, whereas ProRes RAW comparably is much smaller. But ProRes RAW versus a 10-bit like XAVCI file is still much, much, much bigger. So if you are if you are someone who's already feeling like, hey, I work with 4K internal on my camera, I shoot to 10-bit XAVCI you know the files look good, but it's eating up a lot of data. Well, just get ready because the second you start shooting a ProRes RAW, it's going to eat up a ton more data, and that is a real-world thing you're going to have to start dealing with. That that means longer um, times transferring your files from from the SSD drive in the recorder to your to your hard drives. That means more time spent backing up larger files. That means more time spent sorting through all that stuff. Like it, it's just it adds a lot more expense and a lot more time just to be able to have a slight bump in resolution and the ability to change your raw to log conversion and your exposure offset, which if you were working Premiere, that's really all you're getting. (laughs) Uh, And and then having to also now denoise everything. So there's just a lot of issues there. And then on top of that, you've got the cost of just the the raw output in general. You have to buy a raw recorder, which they're pretty cheap now. You can get like a Ninja V for not a lot of money, but It still costs money to buy that. Then you have to buy batteries for it and you have to buy SSD drives and then you have to hook all that up via a cable and it's something else you have to have on top of the camera. Now you may be used to working with an external monitor and maybe you like to work an external monitor and that's not a big deal. But you, if you want to have RAW as your workflow, you can never take that monitor off because you have to have it in order to record RAW. So if if you want to record RAW on those cameras, you are stuck to having to have a monitor. And if you're wanting to use Mics and stuff that means you have to have a cage. If you're working with like a a mirrorless camera, that means you have to have a cage and a top handle and spots to mount your monitor and spots to mount your mics, and it just makes it a lot bigger. Contraption it's not as bad if you're working on a camera like the fx6 or fx9, um, but it's still an extra piece of equipment you have to buy and charge and keep on top of your camera. The other thing is, is the FX9, if you're an FX9 user, just like the FS7, it requires the stupid extension unit that costs, again, $2,500 plus the V-Lock batteries and then the recorder. So if you're working with the FX9, it's even worse for you because you have to buy the extension unit and you have to buy V-Lock batteries if you don't own any and then you can buy the recorder and all that goes with it. And again, you're adding a lot more size and weight. So if you're an FX9 shooter, you for sure aren't wanting to shoot raw because just like the FS7, it's not really worth it. Another thing to note is when you work with ProRes RAW, you do not have access to things like lens corrections. So if you like working with lens corrections to to correct for distortion or chromatic aberration or anything like that in camera, none of those options are available on Sony cameras when when working with the RAW file because you're recording the RAW file. Something else that's not available, and I, I don't typically shoot with lens corrections, but something I do use that a lot of you may use is the gyro sensor data feature on Sony's cameras, especially if you work with a camera like the FX6 or FX9 that doesn't have IBIS. If you work with any Sony camera today, you have the ability to use the... Uh, or any modern Sony camera today, you have the ability to use the gyro sensor data, which essentially is, is ba- if you don't know what this is, you, then you're really missing out. But if you're working with a Sony camera, when you have gyro sensor data, um, when you're using it, what it essentially does is, as you move a camera, let's say you're doing a handheld shot, as you are moving around with your hands, the like let's just say you're kind of shaking on a shot or something, your hands are moving, the camera is recording... the the, that information there's a gyro in the camera kind of like you'd find in your phone and it knows and senses when you're moving your hands to the right or the left or up or down even if it's just a you know shake on your part because you know you're trying to hold it steady or whatever as you shake those shakes are being recorded from the gyro as data, as metadata, that's being baked into the file. And so, when you open up a program called Catalyst Browse, which is Sony's Sony's own program, and you are reviewing your footage in Catalyst Browse, you will see a little icon that tells you that gyro sensor data was recorded for a clip. And what it does is it allows you to stabilize that clip in Catalyst Browse. It works very, very well. So if you're if you're if you're shaking and your camera's you know your hand moves to the right and to the left and to the right it will use the gyro sensor data that records that right, left, right movement. And in in Catalyst Browse, it will move it left, right, left, right? So it's using math, essentially, and the gyro, the data collected, it's using math to mathematically calculate how much the camera should move left and right and up and down or whatever to combat your shakiness. And what that does is it gives you the ability to basically use it's kind of like warp stabilizer, but it doesn't warp your image and it's way more accurate because it's not its not trying to analyze movement. It's actually recorded movement. It knows the movement because the movement was being baked into the image and baked into the metadata. And so it's able to use that information to be able to combat the shake using math, and you can control how much you want it to work, or how, you know how 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 much your shake you want to remove by by a little slider. And the more shake you remove, the more it crops in on the image. But you can get rid of most shake somewhere, depending on how bad your hands are. But you can get rid of most movement, it, just handheld movement, for example, and and a 95% crop, meaning that you're you're, you're you're only having to crop in a tiny amount. <laughs> it's hardly noticeable at all, yet you can really stabilize your image. So if you're working with like an A7S III or an A1, it's not as big a deal because you have IBIS in the camera and that will help combat your handheld movement. But if you're working with an FX6 or FX9 that doesn't have IBIS and you're working with a non-stabilized lens like a 50 millimeter prime, for example, that gyro sensor data that's being recorded can bail you out in post if you're looking at your footage and you're like, man, it's just shakier than I'd like it to be. Because I, I like handheld movement, but I don't like shake. I like the movement of handheld movement, but I don't like shake. So I use it to re- to reduce or even eliminate completely that shakiness you might get from handheld shots on my FX6. And it works very, very well. Well, if you record in ProRes RAW, you cannot use the gyro sensor data. It's not baking that into the file, so you don't get that metadata. So it's just one more thing that you lose when recording in, in ProRes RAW. And that's that's a shame because for, for guys like me that work with the FX6 or for guys who work with the FX9, that gyro sensor data is extremely useful and I use it all the time. I'm working on a project or and and, and I got a little shake in my handheld shot that I don't like or maybe my handheld shot was a, just a little bit more handheldish than I meant for it to or maybe I bumped my tripod you know and I want to take it out I love using gyro sensor data I select an endpoint and an outpoint and catalyst browse and I just stabilize the in and out points that or, or the, the clip in between the in and out point and it works so well it's so fast and so much better than warp stabilizer which nine times out of ten looks not good good. (laughs) And it just works very, very, very well. And to lose that ability in ProRes RAW is just one more negative thing that for guys like me, I I just, I can't get over that. Now, is there any other advantage to shooting in RAW besides the ability to change those four settings, which really you can't even change all four today (laughs) in most programs, but is there, or really any program, but is there any other benefit beyond that or beyond the resolution bump? Well, The answer is yes, there is a slight improvement on some Sony cameras in the highlight recovery but it's really not that big and if you look at xABCI files that you can find online and, and raw files that are shot from the same camera the same day and you play with the two because some, some YouTube channels for example will have downloads where you can download raw files and you can download like log files and you can compare the two. If you play with that you will notice that the increase of in dynamic range is very slight. You're not actually getting a ton more in the hi- of highlight room, for example. So is there a slight benefit? And some models, yes, but not really. And so at the end of the day, you're jumping through all these hoops. You're adding denoising to your workflow. You're adding an external recorder and all the costs and, and SSD drives and, and batteries and cables that come with it and size and weight. And you're also adding storage space and, and more stuff you have to do in post just so you can have a slight resolution bump, a tad bit more highlight recovery, and a slightly um, slight more controls and the ability to be able to, to change your log curve, for example, after the fact. But in my opinion, none of that is worth it. None of that is worth all that you have to go through cost-wise and workflow-wise just to be able to say, hey, I shot RAW. Now look, if, if if these cameras, if there were recorders that could record the 16-bit linear file that these cameras are capable of outputting, it would be a different story. Because if you were going from 10-bit internal to 16-bit, that's a huge jump, right? That's a huge jump. That would be that would be one thing. But to go from 10-bit 10-bit log to a 12-bit log raw file, it's really not that big of a difference. And if you if you play with files online, you will see that. And in my opinion, you're way better off working with the internal XAVCI codec shooting to 10-bit 422 at the at the high bit rates of XAVCI and working with those files that are manageable, that are easy to edit, that don't require any transcoding to use a program like Resolve, that don't require massive amounts of, of data for you to store everything, that don't require denoising in post, and that allow you to simply shoot review, edit. Shoot, review, edit. That should be your workflow. Shoot, review, edit. Not shoot, kind of review, make some tweaks, do denoising, all this stuff, then edit, right? You don't don't want that to be your workflow. It'll drive you nuts. So, at the end of this, or to conclude this podcast, I just want to say that RAW sounds great in theory. RAW sounds like Lightroom and Camera RAW and the ability to change all of these things. But in practice, a 12-bit ProRes RAW file does not give you those same controls, and most programs can't even do half the controls. Some programs can't do any, and you're creating a whole mess of extra work for yourself and a lot more added expense for really not much gain. So should you shoot on Raw, shooting raw on Sony cameras externally today? The answer, in my opinion, is no. The only reason, in my opinion, to shoot in raw externally on a Sony camera as of right now in 2022 is if you are hired as a DP for a company and they specifically ask for it. And even then, I would try to talk them out of it. But if they're convinced, like, I want ProRes RAW or I want RAW from your camera, that's like the only time. And in that case, you could rent a RAW recorder, bill your client for the rental fee, and then give them what they want, and let them deal with it. <laughs> but that really, that's it. Like, Unless someone is specifically asking you for it, shoot the 10-bit log. There's a lot of latitude, a lot of room there. There's great dynamic range in all Sony's modern cameras when working with S-Log3S Gamut 3.cine. Uh, Sony's color science has proved immensely, so you, you shouldn't have to find yourself Doing all kinds of crazy stuff to get your images to look good, shoot in 10 bit log. Great you use a you know use a LUT to convert your files to Rec 709 and, and work with those files and enjoy the ease of use of editing that comes with it. Or if you need a baked in look, shoot to something like tone for your baked-in look. But don't go to raw on these cameras. It's just not worth it. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I know this was super technical, um, (laughs) and some of you, your head might be kind of spinning, but I'm hoping that to some degree, you understand everything I, I talked about and will come to the same conclusion that I came to. If you have any more questions, or any questions at all for that matter, about shooting Raw on Sony cameras, go to the Filming with Josh Facebook group and post your question there, and me and other Sony shooters will hop on and we'll join in that conversation. Thanks again for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. see you guys next time. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.